Shopping Jude is when I realized that, no, you're not going to get a bill for anything. I don't have to worry about it. They're saying we're going to help save her and we're not going to charge you anything. This is what we do. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. WWDB 860 AM Philadelphia and WPEN HD2 Burlington, Philadelphia. The following programming is sponsored by Six Feet Over Under Productions. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, as we wait to get Coach Vermeil on the line, how are you doing this week, man? I'm doing great. Did you survive the smoky game that you went to the other night? You went and saw the Phillies. I didn't there? go to the smoky game. Oh, I went. You to, were I, at the. I, I did, it, it was. You weren't at the canceled. Game. I wasn't at the canceled game with the Yankees. I was at the smoky game with the Phillies, and it was weird. Like, like you literally couldn't see the city from where you were sitting. Yeah. Tell, what was that experience like? Because I, I was sending you pictures of what it was like at it Yankee smoky. Stadium, and <laughs> it was worse. And then you were supposed to go to Yankee Stadium That's the next right. day for a game for Frank Sinatra bobblehead night. Yeah, it's disappointing. Yes. Are they going to read? Mm. Did you miss the rescheduled uh, afternoon doubleheader? No, the, you know that's one of the things. Yankees, by the way, is is that it wasn't good for that game the next day. You can exchange them for a later date, but everybody who had tickets for the regularly scheduled game went because it was a traditional doubleheader. So that didn't work out. There was for no you. break, so they couldn't tell everybody to leave. How was it down at Citizens Bank Ballpark, the atmosphere the other night? I mean, you saw a fun game. The, the Phillies swept Detroit. And, you know, we may have to abandon this when we get Coach on, but we'll just kind of start I wasn't at the. I bit. wasn't at the almost no-hitter. No, your son was at the almost no-hitter. Oh, yeah, and, and you try, I'd like to, to kind of take it for a second. You You're tried gonna... to get me yeah. to jinx the no-hitter by texting <laughs> about it. And then when I wouldn't do it, asking if I was superstitious... Yeah, it happened it literally at that moment. And you still tried to blame me <laughs> of course. when I wouldn't talk about it. So the, I don't... The power... People think they have so much power when it comes to superstition in sports. It is baffling to me that nobody will say... Hey, someone's pitching a no-hitter. The only power, But ESPN will put it on the bottom of their screen. The only power I have right now is to mm-hmm. stop us there and to bring on... Retired race car driver who's won multiple events, Hurley Haywood. Hurley, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. So we, we wanted to uh, get started real fast about... You know, what's going on in terms of the car show this year? We, we've worked this for the past couple of years with the Concord Elegance. Talk about what's going on with Cool Cars for Kids and the sixth annual return this year. Yeah, I think those uh, concourses are really uh, brilliant ideas because they showcase not only the technology of new cars, but also the technology and the development of older cars, which turned into modern cars. So it gives the kids a chance to look at, you know, broad swatches of, of automobile development, which is good. Talk to us about the event and who it raises money for and how it works with everything in terms of supporting CHOP. This year it's going to be Porsche Delphia. Uh, talk to us about what goes on down there. Well, this is... <laughs> Oh, we lost you there real fast. You hear me now? You... Yeah, we, we got you again. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I've never been to the Philadelphia Concourse, so I really, you know, can't directly say, but 
you know, they, um, the, 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 the money that is raised from the concourse goes to good causes. So when you're talking about kids um, in hospitals, uh, this is something that's really good. It gives them a, a good source of income, and it makes people aware of all of the um, duress that kids go through when they get sick. So that's a good good program. Talk to us about the, the cars that people get to see at these types of shows and, and what they can see as they help everything. Well, you know, as I said before, it, it gives a, a, a pretty broad view of automotive uh, history, and they can look at new cars, you look at electric cars, and they can look at the old cars. So when a kid looks at a car that was designed and built in the 1920s and 30s, it's very different than the, the way the cars look today. Um, you know, the safety aspects of the cars really was something that was not really thought of back in the day, back in the 30s and 40s. But today, the cars are integrated where they have crush zones and they have all kinds of safety mechanisms built into them, which makes driving a lot safer. Okay, so we have Hurley Haywood on the line. Hur- Hurley, th- the first question that I got to ask you is, how do you sit in a car for 24 hours? How do you do those kinds of races? Well, you, you got to remember, we, you know, I have teammates that right. drive with me. So you're in the cars usually maybe for, for two to three hours at a time. And I've never had a problem where I'm so focused on what I'm doing that the fatigue part doesn't really kick in until you get out of the car after your stint. And then you go, oh, man, I'm I'm really exhausted or my muscles hurt or whatever. But in today's, you know, when, when Peter Craig and myself won uh, the 24 hours of Daytona and then backed it up with winning Sebring, the 12 hours of Sebring, we slept in the back of the trailer that took the car to the track. We didn't have these big glamorous motorhomes. We didn't have a, a cadre of doctors taking care of us. We didn't have a bunch of chefs making individual foods for the, for each individual driver. So it was really the, the, the wild, wild west back then. So, but, you know, through, through the years, I've always been really lucky to, you know, drive a Porsche, uh, all kinds started off in, in a, you know, you know, 911, basically pretty much a production car. And then that turned over to the, to the, uh, the prototype. So, um, it is just a, a whole different, a whole different program. You know, the cars now are so electronically controlled. You have ABS brakes, you have sequential shifting, um, you have, you know, traction control, which limits the amount of power as you're coming coming out of a corner so you don't really have to pay attention to that kind of stuff where when when we were racing back in the you know 70s 80s 90s and early parts of the 2000s you had to be mindful of all that kind of stuff so now you've got a a computer that generates what the car needs and so it's it's a a whole different platform for the drivers i i don't envy them um because it's you know it's a whole different ball game out there. So they have to be very computerized. Uh, they have to understand what the computer is telling me. That's why they really put a lot of emphasis on kids that are really good at video games, because that's the sort of 
the same mindset that you've got. You have all this information coming to you on a on a video game, and you have to make the right decisions instantly, or you're gonna gonna lose. So that's basically what modern race cars are like. Did Did you have a favorite place that you raced? I mean, you did 24 Hours of Daytona, Le Mans, but you also raced at Indy 500. You had IROC races. Was there something that stands out for you? Well, I think you know as far as you know, races that you really love doing. I like the long distance races because they're, you have to kind of think about it. It's like playing a chess game and you, you plot your, your moves where the the risk is reduced. Sure. You take risks, but it's a calculated risk. It's not just a, a risk from emotion. So I, I like that. Um, I'm good at that, but I also like those, the short races, you know, the, where you just get in the car, you go flat out. You don't have to worry about pit stops. You don't have to worry about fuel. You just go for it. And so, you know, I like sort of both both avenues. But I'm I think I'm more successful with the with the long distance races. You know, we're gonna have Coach Vermeil on in a couple minutes to talk about the event in a couple weeks. Can you tell us a little bit about why you're doing the event and and why it's important for you at this point in your career to give back the way that you are? Well, I mean, I think, you know, when you are looking at different programs where if you can make a a statement, if you can make sort of your own feelings um, where kids can understand that and relate it to, I think all kids love cars. They like like to, you know, can't wait to get their license at 16. So if you if you can do programs like Philadelphia Concourse, um, that's something that's good. And the kids can, you know, unlike a racetrack, you know, getting to actually sit down and talk to a driver or a team owner or an engineer is almost impossible. But at a concourse, those factors are um, very accessible to the, the people that go to the concourse. So a kid can walk up to a driver and say, hey, you know, what do you think about this or whatever? And that that driver can interconnect with that person and that's something that's very positive uh i've been doing these concourses for a long time and you know basically the one that i'm most you know connected to is the amelia allen concourse and hilton head uh i've never been so i've never been to the one in philadelphia but i've heard a lot of really good things about it and so um i think all of that is uh instrumental in the development of kids and their appreciation of automobile engineering well we're scheduled to talk to you a little more next week about this all as we bring you back on to talk about the event and help raise awareness for what's going on we appreciate you giving us a few minutes as now we switch over to coach Vermeil and can't wait to talk to you more about your own journey and, and what you're doing to try and help out and give back thanks for giving us okay. a few minutes here we look forward to talking to you more okay thanks thank thanks you coach Vermeil, as we switch over to you and keep the car talk going how are you doing today sir I'm doing fine, thank you. And good weather. You know, everything's going well. Yeah. We got no complaints here. We're talking cars and and you. It's all good. You know, Coach, one of the other things that we were talking about before we talked to Hurley was was superstition. And Mm -hmm. so I got to ask you, you you were involved in sports and still are for a really long time. Were you Mm -hmm. superstitious? And and who is the most superstitious player that you ever had to deal with? Oh, wow. You know, I don't think I was really superstitious. 
maybe I didn't win enough games in a row at a time to develop a pattern and think I, I better feel that way all the time or look for the, <laughs> I don't know. I know while I was involved in my dad's auto racing schemes there in Northern California, the old NARC Racing Association, there was a, a real a phobia about anything green in the pits. Now you see green Indianapolis cars and everything else, but no one would even wear green in the pits at that time or it'd have a race car certainly no uh, with green on it yeah well, w- well what did you do when you coached the eagles that's a whole <laughs> lot of green <laughs> got over that superstition I, 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 I guess maybe that's why we won for didn't win for the first, first three years i don't know <laughs> well we'll get to the eagles talk in a minute we wanted to continue the conversation we were having with hurley there uh the, the reason we get to connect with you mostly is because of what you do uh, supporting Concord to Elegance here in Philadelphia for Cool Cars for Kids, this is the sixth year that you're, that the event's going to go on. Can you talk about what it is and why it's so important that, that people pay attention and support the effort? Well, first off, I have selfish motives. My granddaughter uh, was born with some serious, you know, uh, complexities associated with rare genetic problems, okay? And uh, Dr. Krantz, who heads up this program, Cool Cars for Kids, uh, was her doctor. And uh, my family appreciated so much what he has done for her. She's now 30 years old. And how far advanced they are today because of the research of people like Dr. Krantz and staff have uh, developed over the years. It took a couple of years to recognize that our granddaughter had some serious issues. And now they know there's a possibility of it for a child's born, all because of genetic research. And these funds that we raise in, in these activities go toward this kind of research. And my wife and I have our own Amy Vermeil Fund at CHOP, which supports uh, a full-time research scientist in rare genetic diseases. So we're, we're deeply involved, but first reason, because selfishly, we have family members, and then we like the feeling of maybe helping other families uh, prevent the diseases or be more aware of all the different things to, to be aware of uh, early in the in the diagnosis and the, and the process of care in these kinds of things. And uh, we don't know of anybody else doing any better job of that than Dr. Cranston's staff. You know, Coach, we've known you two for a long time as part of this city, be involved as more than a coach, to be involved in the city, be involved in the community. How important is it for athletes and people in the sports world to give back to the community? And how important was it for you as a coach to impart that on the players uh, that played for you? Well, it was very important to me. Uh, just because of how I was raised in a small community, 1,800 people, you helped everybody that had issues. And it was just part of the atmosphere and the culture of the community. And I just always felt, you know, as all really got started here in in Philadelphia, how they support you, the general fan, and all these people in any event you have or athletes have that, and these charity golf tournaments and all that are all supported by fans that it's important to go back and, and, and thank them in a way and support them. And I get, you know, I get frustrated. I've been getting involved in too many uh, different activities. You just can't 
support them all. We all know there's no such thing as a poor charity. <laughs> so uh, I try to do a, a disciplined job of structuring out my charity time to things that are really close to me and or close to very close friends and get operating in that vein. And it's meaningful. You know, I, I feel good about it. It makes me feel good about it, that I'm doing something that you're not getting paid to do. You're doing it because you care. And uh, I have a lot I have a lot of athletes that I've coached over the years that do a lot of things that they don't get recognized for. I have a few of them have done some outstanding things, and I can't even get a network or ESPN or NFL from Germany to go in and do a story about it. I mean, build your own high school, you know, have build your own buildings, you know, a former NFL player. Now, if he beat up his wife, it'd be on national news tomorrow, you know, but uh, sometimes we can't get the media to support the real positive things that are done. And with this Concourse de Elegance here in Philadelphia, we get some support like we're getting right now. And it's a good thing. It's, we need that kind of support. How hard is it? You know, you talk about the disparity in coverage between looking for the negative headlines and, and the positive in what people are doing. How hard is that for you as a coach when you have these players that are trying to do the right things and it seems like it's a media climate just looking to play gotcha at times to catch somebody doing something wrong rather than celebrating what they're doing right? Well, I think the modern media for the active player does a pretty good job of supporting what they do, especially the big name guys. But it's the guys that played in this league for average salaries or, you know, that they had to work during the uh, off season to make a good living. Yeah, these guys that are that all of a sudden went out and did things on their own and developed really great programs. Uh, we had one here in Philadelphia. You know, Pastor Herb Lust started that played for me at the Eagles. You know, and uh, you know it. Those things should be on on the NFL Network almost as an advertising program. And the one that done Houston Texans by Roy Ronell, the what he has done there is just amazing. But I have been unsuccessful in trying to get the media to go ahead and tell the story. But if they were playing today, if it was you know the starting quarterback of the Eagles or Houston or wherever it may be, it would be easy to much easier to do today. But going back in history and pulling up the old names, it's a little tougher. You know, you know, Coach, you mentioned that there were players back when you coached that had other jobs because they couldn't support themselves playing football. And we've talked to a lot, a lot of the older players who do something called gridiron greats, um, yep. where, where Dick, uh, Mike Dicka is one of the people who uh, raises money to uh, yep. support players who, who, who have illnesses that they can't afford yep. to take care of. When you now look, you're you're in a city where where we now have the highest paid player in the NFL, I believe, in Jalen Hurts. Could yeah. you have ever seen foreseen that coming when you were coaching? No, no. Hey, Leonard Toast sold the Eagles for around sixty million dollars, <laughs> <laughs> which which for is Jalen only a little less than Jalen Hurts contract. is getting this year. <laughs> there are a lot of players making more than that. Okay, individually today, and I I'm happy for. It. I really am, you know, uh, because the game has become so big due to their performances, the history of the performances of the old timers and, and everything and the accumulation of uh, drawing attention to the league, uh, you know, through television and radio and media and that. It's, it's no quite the biggest sport there is, to, at least in America. And uh, 
I'm pleased, you know, that the players are getting the money. And, hey, the coaches, too. We as coaches in the early, early days didn't get great salaries either. No, it seems like the coaches are, are getting a lot more recognition. You know, I wanted oh. to ask you, you're somebody who has gone through the Super Bowl on both sides of it, and, and no matter what it is, it seems like the teams that go to the Super Bowl and make that run the previous year tend to struggle at times the next year. Uh, what was the challenge of you as a coach the year after the Super Bowl, and, and what do the Eagles need to look out for to try and make sure they get back there with Coach Sirianni? Well, I think the biggest problem the Eagles may have will be the strength of schedule they have. Their schedule is really tough. Over the years, I've invested a lot of time studying schedules in advance and evaluating schedules of the past, and I have found over the years a playoff-caliber team playing another playoff-caliber team during the season. You have to at least break even in the number of games that you compete at that level against that level of a team. If you don't, you don't make the playoffs. Uh, and if you do break even and then beat all the teams that lose on your schedule, you're going to make the playoffs. Uh, I look at the Eagles' schedule. It is tough, okay? There's a lot of winning teams on it. And some won't be as good. Some may be even better, you know? So that, I think, will be the toughest part, just the schedule itself. Now, the other thing is just the – the edge there there are always some people that think they arrive okay we have arrived oh boy we are you know we are we are <laughs> and uh you physically appear to be the same but emotionally it isn't quite the same the depth of commitment to the, the intensity and focus and the preparation and that you can lose an edge there are some coaches that are better at preventing that from happening than others you know no one does it better than Belichick. You know, Andy Reid's doing a heck of a job with that. Uh, but also, you know, the influx, the, what helps is an influx of new players that didn't experience it last year. There's always 15 to 20 new guys on a squad today that didn't play in the Super Bowl last year. And the right kind of kids can be a real positive reinforcement for the mental frame of mind and the preparation focus for the this year's team so those kind of things but you do worry about it you you, you do hell you as a coach you have to think about it it's, it's just almost there's like a load off your shoulders we won that thing you know that everyone's striving for and the only thing i've ever said to nick and i don't talk to him that i just text him i said no, nick don't ever be embarrassed by losing the super bowl every coach in the country would love to have the same opportunity you know you know, you know, Coach, we, we, we've heard Nick Sirianni the other day talk about how Jalen Hurts hasn't reached his full potential, that, that he seems to want to get better every day and every year. How much easier does it make it for a coach to have your star player or your leader who is the one that seems to be so coachable, which is what Nick Sirianni said, and seems to just on his own be motivated to get better, to not rest on his laurels? which a lot of players do when they get the big money. Well, I'll tell you this. You know, first off, Jalen Hurts was raised by a football coach. Okay, So he's ingrained. Uh, it's, it's automatic to how to do it right in losing and accepting winning and big salaries. I, I don't think it'll bother him in any way. He, it won't make him any better. It won't make him any worse because he is Jalen Hurts. But I do think uh, – uh, Excuse me, I lost my point there. I, I think uh, 
in, in terms of Jalen Hurts and his potential and, and kind of embracing the... So he will get better because of repetition. You know, you, you play long enough, things don't surprise you. You've seen it before. And, and does it does it make it, it does it make it easier for somebody like Coach Sirianni to have your leader that's like that? Well, when your best players are your best examples, it metastasizes through the locker room. You can more easily synchronize the thinking of the entire organization. When you you know, I've been hired to take over two real bad losing teams, so the, the Eagles and the Rams. The Chiefs were not that kind of team. But those two teams, when your best player, <coughs> excuse me, buys into what you're doing, what a tremendous example and what a tremendous uh, contribution that one guy can make to uh, spreading how he thinks amongst kids that have never experienced winning or have been beaten down and uh, aren't as good as they ought to be. But they see this guy or these guys, the Harold Carmichael's, the Bill Burgess, the Frank LeMasters, the John Bunnings, the Jerry Sizemore, Stan Walters, these guys, Keith Crefty, other young people come in and see these guys off winning teams. You know what? We got beat in the Super Bowl in 1980. The next season we won six in a row. We're the only undefeated team in football. Okay, we ended up only winning 10 games. We ran out of gas because I probably worked them too hard to keep trying to make them better, and they had already given everything they had to give. But I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a real advantage when your best player or two, or if you have more than two, are the examples for everybody else. You know, you, you talk about the concerns that coaches have to worry about and, you know, obviously availability, making sure they're not injured. Um, when you went to the Super Bowl, you you did, you did the curfew with the Eagles to make sure that they weren't out late. The NFL seems to be grappling with gambling challenges now. As a coach, is there anything a coach can do to help to insulate their team a little more from some of the stories that we're starting to see come out so they don't have people not available on the field because of that? Well, you know, sometimes the league creates their own problems. You know, for a long time, anything, you couldn't even mention gambling in a locker room. One of the first meetings in every training camp was from the NFL security out of New York telling you, no gambling, no gambling, no gambling. Stay out of Atlantic City. Stay out of Las Vegas. Stay out, you know, anyway. Uh, and now they make it legal. Now they advertise it during the games. So sometimes they create their own problems. And and they are the ones, the few kids that with exercise poor judgment get themselves in trouble. And uh, I feel a little sorry for them. You know, I feel a little, it's like going into a candy store and not being able to buy anything. And when you're a little kid, you, you know, these, some of these, not all the football players are making 200 million a year, you know, but anyway, uh, it's another problem. You know, it's another problem. And, uh, uh I, I think the open door policy of gambling throughout the whole country now and throughout the media and everything, uh, makes it tougher on the players. So, I think the head coaches are going to have to continually invest more time talking about other things that influence you playing on Sunday or not playing on Sunday, uh, and maybe uh, five minutes less on game plan. Okay. Yeah, you know, and, and coaching, we 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 had that debate before you got on. That we, uh, Jason and I were having this off, actually off the air, and and my, I was thinking, what what is a coach going to do? 
I mean, you, you have enough responsibility as a coach already to coach a team, to come up with a game plan, to figure out what the other side's going to do and anticipate it, and, and, and all the other things that you have to deal with. Should a coach be responsible for, for making sure his players or her players, depending on the sport, are, are not gambling? And, and as a coach, what can you do? You know, what are you going to do, take their phones and look at them all day? Well, I don't know if they should be held responsible, but they should be educators. You know, playing in the NFL is a privilege, not a right. And I I think you have to continually discuss these kinds of things with your players. And and nowadays, for example, when I coached the Eagles, I was a totally different head coach than when I coached the Rams and the Chiefs. When I was at the Eagles, I ran my own offense, called my own plays, Okay, did the game, offensive game plan, all those kinds, did the practice plans. Did, I was involved in everything. When I came back 14 years later, obviously, it was no, the game had changed. A lot of things had changed. It's far more sophisticated. And you become more of a leader within the entire organization. So you have to uh, organize your time so you're uh, attacking all areas that control winning and losing or make a contribution to winning and losing. And sometimes it's more important than the, the offensive game plan in the red zone. Yeah. You've got people designated and delegated to do these things and you oversee the big picture. And it's, it's, it's not as much fun, but that's how most of it is done today. Yeah. And I, I know coach, you're, you're famous for how hard you worked as a coach and how much you put into it. And, you know, I, I was watching Andy Reid the other day, and Andy Reid was very much like that, especially during his time with the Eagles. But in in winning, Andy seems to have loosened up. It seems like the weight has been lifted from his shoulders. He looked like he was having fun talking about his, his White House visit. Does it get to the point as you get more experienced that the weight does become lifted with time? What you've got to be careful of is to let it, it lift too much off it. You're still the head coach, you know. Uh, you've got to be careful of forgetting some of the things that help you be what you are. And no one's done any better than Andy Reid, really. You know, he still runs his own offense. He's really his own offensive coordinator, you know. And he calls his own plays. He's deeply involved. But I do know from how well I know Andy that he's not as – zeroed in on the offseason draft and the players and the, all that kind of stuff. He's, he stays focused on his strengths more in, in the offensive schemes. And he's got, you know, when you've coached as long as he has as a head coach and, and been as successful, it's a great it's – it's the best way to keep continuing to improve what you teach. Because you've got to be intellectually humble. You've got to be willing to say, you know, I don't know what I don't know, but I'm going to find it out. And Andy Reid has never had a big ego thing where it's all him. And I think every year his offense has grown and gotten better because all the experience, the wisdom, you know, and then eliminating what he thought was going to be good that wasn't good and adding something new each year to the point. And then he does a great job of taking advantage of the talents of specific people within his scheme. The real talented guys are going to touch the football. I've seen great players finish the ball game, touch the ball three or four times. 
But Andy, more often than not, those great players are going to touch the ball more often. That's all there is to it. But it's, you know, it's just, there's no substitute for the experience. That's There's just none whatsoever. What his greatest thing, I think, is his emotional stamina. That's why I didn't have great emotional stamina. He really is a strong. He's, he's had a lot of issues in his life that not many coaches, I don't know any, that have, have been confronted with the, the own personal things that have, could really tear a man down. But he's so strong that he's been able to focus. When he gets in that building, his focus is on his job, and no one does any better. You know, Coach, the other day that the, the Chiefs did get to go to the White House, when you won the Super Bowl, if we recall correctly, uh, you had to have yours postponed because the president yeah. had to do something else. Did, well, you, did you ever make it to the White House? I've been there. I went there, uh, but not with my team. I went there uh, in, uh, with George Allen's team when I was coaching with the Los Angeles Rams and we went into Washington, D.C. We went in, and, you know, there's a room in the White House called the Vermeil Room. So I really wanted to go into there. And, you know, that Ver, Vermeil really the ter- means uh, gold plating over sterling silver. And there's a whole room with that kind of uh, wear. What and, kind of wine do they have? I was going to say, I thought maybe that was the room in the White House where they served your wine out of. <laughs> I, no, I have a wine mug like that it's a Vermeil. <laughs> I did want to ask you, you talk about George Allen and the influence that he had on you. Uh, I touched on it briefly when we talked to you before, but I, I mean, I'm fascinated that I get to go ask you about being with Coach Wooden. How did following him, letting him come and talk to your coaches, seeing his practices... How did that shape the philosophy that kind of carried you forward to today? Well, you know, I, I I didn't come into the National Football League like all the coaches come into the league today. Now there's a lot of young coaches because the coaching staffs on each team are very big. They have 20, 25 coaches. And a lot of those guys are young interns working for minimum salary that are learning. They're, it's like going to graduate school upon graduate school. And, and so they're far more they learn a scheme and they watch a process and uh they're far more ready at that age i came out of high school junior college and college coaching and and you learn that way and so you're learning a little bit every year not a whole system a way of doing things all at once you know so it's an advantage to see these young kids coming in today you know the sean uh mcbays and these kind of kids i mean he's still what 37 years old mm-hmm. <laughs> came in at 32 <laughs> Okay, you know he can do that, and others have done it now, uh, because they were on NFL coaching. They didn't, weren't in high school coaching. They weren't in junior college coaching. They were in a, They were getting their advanced degree the first year out. You know, so uh, I, I think that's made a difference in the ages of, of coaches, and uh, and and a lot of them have done a great job. You know, coach, I can't tell you how much we appreciate your time and everything you've done for the city. Can you tell us before you go? Uh, a little bit more about the event and what people can do to get to go. Well, first off, Friday night there's a gala, six to ten. You know, where it's a, a banquet. You know, we serve Vermeer wines and we auction some things off. We raise a little money and and build enthusiasm for the next day. And you know, it, it. You know, I've been to everyone that I've been in town. I've been there, and I'd, sometimes I've taken my old number seven. Uh, Black Beauty that I restored that was my dad's was built in 1926. And it's certainly not in the class of the Porsches they're going to have there now and those kinds of things. But, uh, you know, the people can bring their kids. 
you know, they've got refreshments and it's, you can walk around the Simeon Museum. I mean, it, a lot, you know, to me, it's one of the best kept secrets in Philadelphia. I'm just, uh, it's just a unbelievable, one of the best in the world. You know, it's on Norwich Drive over there on, over by the airport. But it's, it's a great place. And you can get, get tickets here. You can go online and get tickets. You just, you've got to go www.philadelphiaconcourse.com slash event slash tales. So all these kinds. Of, but anyway, you can get tickets. And, uh, yeah, it will enjoy it. There's a lot of father-son people that attend the events each year. The the gala the night before is a little more sophisticated. The event itself on Saturday starting at 10 o'clock in the morning when the doors open, uh, you know, they'll have great Porsches. They'll have discussions there of experts like you just interviewed on, on the Porsche motor car, you know, and I've owned two Porsches. And uh, actually, I drove a night, uh, a 914 for a whole season when I was coaching the offense for the Rams in 1972. Roman Gabriel and Merlin Olson were involved with the Porsche dealership and they gave me an orange 914 Porsche to drive. Okay, expenses free. Why but, orange? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he didn't care. He was a car guy. <laughs> he just happy to have a Porsche. <laughs> Yeah, there was one of those. There was one of those featured in the Wall Street Journal the other day. Amazing. And my wife bought me a nine uh, a nine eleven in two thousand three or four, the anniversary version. God, it was a beautiful car. When I came back to Pennsylvania, I just I ended up not ever driving it because I'm yeah I live out on a, on a hundred acres of ground. I'm I drive a pickup, you know? <laughs> so I ended up selling it. But uh, I I love the Porsche. To me, it's if it, if it's the finest uh, sports car to own if you're just a fan of great automobiles, you know, in a sports car level. And it's not that uh, technical that it's complicated to drive or too sophisticated to work on when you take them to the poor shops. It's just expensive to work on. Well, we know it's a great cause you're supporting. Oh, yeah. A great event that's being had. We'll make sure to put it out on social media Coach, we always appreciate getting some time with you. It's a blast. Thank you so much for everything you do. All right. Let's keep doing As long as it makes a difference, you got to keep doing it. Uh, we're totally fine with it if you are. We'll definitely call you again. Thanks, Coach. Bye-bye. Have a good one. All right, Jeff. So you thought that when that interview ended, you were going to be able to come at me over something, correct? Yeah, I did. And that did not go the way that you went. It didn't go the way that I went. No, no it didn't go the way that I thought it would go. It, no. It's not how I want. But I, I just, ha- I come from a different perspective. This, of saying, this is in this is in relation to the gambling question. Yes, the coach for me. Yeah, and you wanted to ask him the gambling question, and I said, well, I don't understand. He's going to give a typical coach speak answer, which is, is there's nothing that I can do about it. I already got enough to do. And, and he didn't. And no, but but the, you know what? That's him though. Like. That that this is this is a man who was famous for preparing and preparing and preparing and having his hands in everything, as he said, and and I don't think that most coaches want the responsibility of having to babysit these these millionaires. Do you want the responsibility of babysitting me on the radio? No, you're stuck with it because you don't want me to screw something up where we're not doing it. They don't like have calling ch- the wrong person? They don't have a ch- <laughs> That's a totally different story, and I did not do that and wasn't going to bring it up. But they don't have the choice whether yeah. they want to. 
Because if they don't, they're mm-hmm. going to be short players on their roster. They're going to be anyway. Do you, do you, th- do you think any of the athletes that got caught, do you really believe they didn't know the rule? And do you really believe that if if a coach had said something different than whatever it is he already said, what the league said, what the union said, what everybody else said, despite all of that stuff, do you think a coach coming over and constantly saying, hey, look, you have a responsibility to your teammates was going to make any I, difference to I any of those guys? Good. He talked about it, though. It's not just the coach. It's the organization and the team around it, the security people that you well, have within that's, the team. That's who I think that's, is responsible for but, it, the, the security people, the people that have the technology that, to, to sit there and be able to figure it out. You've always talked to me as part of your 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 day job of ge- geofencing is like understanding how that works. The coach shouldn't have to deal with that. Like at some point, a coach can't be responsible for everybody. You have 50-some-odd players, and I they are adults, and you only have a couple hours with them. I didn't expect to hear in those couple hours maybe five more minutes, five less minutes of game, uh, game planning and five more minutes of that, though. Yeah, I didn't expect him to say that either. I, I expected him to say, look, th- there's only so much I can do in a day. He's the best, though. Yeah, I love his passion for the city still. I mean, he chose to be here and stay here, and, and he's made himself just a man of the people. By the way, though, here. if I had a 100-acre farm, I'd be driving around the portion doing donuts. Yeah, you'd be stuck <laughs> in a field someplace. Why don't we head the break? When we come back, we'll try to make sure we call the right guests if we're talking to anybody. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. All right, I'm coming back from uh, break with a wheel of topics for Jeff to choose from. We could go with the traditional sports series. We could talk PGA Live Golf. We can talk what's going on, Toronto Blue Jays and their players. Which direction would you like to head here, Mr. Cohen? Oh, let's go golf. Let's go go You can start with that. So (laughs) apparently nobody had the heads up that PGA and Live are going to try and make this work together. I don't know if they're going through counseling or what, but after years of legal battles, they have agreed to move forward together. Uh, Apparently, it is not a merger. Mm -hmm. They're creating a new entity. I don't understand what it is. I don't understand anything about this. I don't understand how the PGA is a nonprofit entity, by the way. Every time somebody speaks, it comes out as a different story. You don't know who's upset... But I thought the idea of a merger, and I kind of do this like for my day job every once in a while, a merger. And now all we're, we keep hearing is one side saying, well, we think that, L, that the players from the LIV tour are not going to easily be able to come back to the PGA tour. That makes no sense. And now you hear the live tour saying, we're not going away. Viva la live tour. <laughs> yeah, we're not, going, we're away. not going away. So exactly, it seems to be the only thing that happened here is this <laughs> private investment fund of Saudis is going to be the major investor and advertising all over the PGA yeah, tour. PGA got bought out. That's That seems to be what happened. Okay, so the thing that I am most excited for. There should be nothing you're excited for when it comes to this, but go ahead. I am. Uh-huh. 
on Netflix. The, the sheer stupidity the, of what's the documentary. Oh, the thirty for full, thirty. That's gonna no, come no, no. Out. Full, that's what you'll full be. Full swing. So you've watched the full swing documentary? No, I have not. Okay, so full swing was like a docu series they're doing on golf and yes, some of the players. I, I heard on all Netflix. about it. No interest. So they had cameras rolling when these players found out the news, mm-hmm. and that will be a part of the next season. Because nobody knew it was coming, and none of the players had heads ups. So they were covering. They were following a guy who was his first ever day on the PGA tour, and he got a phone call in his car to find out what was going on. And then they were following another veteran who was at home with his family when his agent called to find out. Here, here's the amazing thing. Okay, now there were litigations going on that were costing a bunch of money. There is a battle between two entities that is more than your typical money battle. I mean, it always comes down to money, but it was more than that. The people on the PGA side were talking about the morality of what was going on with the investors who's really funding the LIV tour. There was a lot of venom going on, and all of a sudden, poof, Monaghan says it's okay. Now, if you look at at least from the outside from what you can see, it looked like the LIV tour was not gaining any footing. It looked like, and I've heard a couple of the players say, we don't understand why this was happening now. Because yeah, it feel looked like, like we were killing their tour. They feel like the PGA saved Liv. It seems to right. be more about stopping the litigation. Is which, what, is a, which is absolutely amazing to me. The you're PGA a litigator, tour, right? But though? the PGA tour is supposed to be swimming in money. And, and, and by the way, you well, had, they are now. They're Swimming in Saudi money. Yeah, but, which, which is, it's repulsive to think that this is how it ended up going because you had, I'm not the biggest fan of Tiger Woods, but Tiger Woods reportedly turned down $800 million for the morality and supporting the tour. Rory McIlroy has been out there. The face of Vocally. This. Fighting for the he, tour. He even said the other day after it, I still hate Liv. <laughs> but, but the thing is, they've now just accepted the practicality of this. And, and you know, people talk about sports washing. I, it's one of the reasons that I've always had a hard time with, with European golf is because when you look at a lot of the teams, the support is from similar entities, and it's bigger than the name of the team on the jerseys, and all the kids are wearing it, and they don't know any different. And so now we have the PGA Tour that's about to do the same thing. And, and that's after fighting. And, and by the way, it shouldn't be lost on people that the PGA Tour was putting its arms around the, 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 the survivors and the families of 9-11 victims and saying, we're on your side. Just, just wait, Jeff. And, and, now, and now how, how does Monaghan, who ain't... by the way, how does Monaghan, hold on, how does Monaghan sleep and then I sit there and I go, Monahan's not losing his job. No. All this stuff about the players are angry is just like it did with Mickelson. It's just going to go away. And Monahan's going to be seen as a hero because of all the money that he's now worked out that they're going to get on this tour. Just wait. You're going to hate this even more because I'll tell you how it's going to go. So I've watched this already because... WWE, for their wrestling, partnered with Saudi Arabia many years ago and do shows over there. 
And when they do these shows, they do these commercials about how amazing the country is and the people. Well, they did it with the World Cup so, so recently. So just wait. You're going to see that during the commercials of the golf broadcast on guess networks not. where nobody was watching on the CW. Mm-hmm. But now you're going to be on major networks, which, by the way, they didn't tell the major networks about the deal either. So they didn't tell the golfers. They didn't tell the network. My hand didn't tell anybody. They didn't tell the executives yeah. involved. They didn't tell the board, who still has to vote for it. They didn't tell the Justice Department, who still has to approve it and isn't sure of all of this stuff. Y- yeah, but you stated something that is, is patently false. What? That, that I'm going to see all of this advertising. Well, you're not going to watch. I'm not going to see. And I'm somebody who has gone to dozens of majors. I've gone to lots of, you know this, I've gone to lots of golf tournaments. I've covered for this show the President's Cup and been there for it in Jersey City. I'm not going anymore. What I know happens? I know people sit there and when when people say this like you and I have talked about, you know, even your own family members when there's been strikes and they've never watched another My game. My dad still won't pay tickets. I'm not watching golf game. anymore. I'll play it, but but I'm not watching it anymore and I feel bad for somebody like Rory McIlroy who supported the who supported the tour. But if 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 when you have that amount of money, you still need more to the point that you'll compromise what what is inside of you, I just don't know how I can sit there and clap for these people. So the hard part I have is I already feel like other leagues are making those compromises. I mean, we have a general manager here who still his name can't be said in China. So, like, yes, you're right. It is a further extent and integration of what has already been going on but there are lots of countries that we don't like the way they do things. That we take their yeah, money. Yeah, but but you just but you're comparing apples things. and oranges. We're we're talking about sports washing. What what you're talking about with regard to China is is how you have to deal how a company has to deal in that country. We're now going to export what's going on, what happened in Saudi Arabia, to this country through golf. We're ex- you By the way, I think it's business, coming for other sports. As a business, you there are some compromises you have to make if you want to do business over there. You don't have to like it, but if you want to do business over there, you have to. The NBA has to do that if they want to have their games televised in China. They're not ex- the NBA is not exporting any of this nonsense over here. What, what the PGA Tour is now about to do is to export stuff and stuff that is going to cause pain to a lot of people. What makes you think it stops with the PGA Tour? I'm not saying it does. Well, I, can't I don't pre- think it does. I can't predict the future. I can tell you the present, and the present is, is nauseating to me. I, I, I can't remember an issue in sports like this that, that we've had on for a while that has, has struck such a nerve with me. I, I will just say from a purely public relations perspective, Jay Monahan is completely unprepared to speak about this in public. But Jay Monahan has always been unprepared to speak about anything in public. He, I don't. Do you think he survives this? I just told. Yes, you do. I do because he made them I, I, a lot of money. Correct. At the end of the at the end of the day, I mean, look, Phil Mickelson was my favorite golfer for a really long time. Oh, he was spiking the for ball. For a lot of people, Phil Mickelson, he said. The way that he described going to the LIV tour was repulsive to yes. me. And, and that is something that I will never let go. And I, I will forgive people for a lot of things, but it's not something I'll forget. 
is that Phil Mickelson, the just all he had to do was say, look, I don't think things are, go- things are going well on the PGA Tour. I think that there's a better way to do it. If they're not willing to compromise and see my position, there's another place I can go. He didn't have to say what he said about the the fund and what people were making nope. accusations to. But a lot of people have now said, okay, well, Phil was he at least he was willing to say it publicly. That doesn't make it right. No. It does and and the par, part of the Just problem Just meant he had the guts enough to own it. But doesn't this, make him but right. This though. is a, I mean, look, this is a whole bigger discussion than what we have time for. It's a societal issue is is that nah, Haley'll let us stay on the air for the rest of the <laughs> evening. We can go through geopolitics. We're all good. Don't worry. We don't it's, go off here. It's all a cycle now. <laughs> it's all it's all a cycle and, and it's a it's a 24-hour cycle and then it'll go away and, and that's the shame of all of this is that it'll go away and yes there will be people now that'll turn on pga to work if this all gets approved by the board do you think it does i think i think that the way monahan do it he set it up that it's almost like a poison pill like like there's so much money involved here that how does the board say no because a board's responsibility Technically, to, is to, to do, do what's in the best interest financially for its investors. Yes, not right? morally for its investors. Right, but the, but in this case, the PGA Tour could have and did take a stand, and then one man appears to have just completely undercut it. And I don't know how you get back. If Rory McIlroy is willing to sit in front of the world at a table and and say, "Look, I still hate the Live Tour, but." This is what we got to do. It seems like they're just resigned to it. That's what it seems like it is. You know somebody who didn't take the Saudi money? Who? Messi. He's coming here to play soccer. Jeffy's going to own like a percentage of everything. And, and by the way, he's going to the worst team in the league. Um, but he, it's in he, Miami. As a union fan, you'll be helping yeah. to pay his salary. Each team in the MLS will help to pay for that. He'll get his MLS salary. He's going I, to I, get a percentage of the profit share from Apple subscriptions. I don't understand. He's going to get profit but, but hold share on. from the increase. I don't in understand Adidas how sales. financially this makes any sense whatsoever. App, Apple's going to give part of Apple stock. Adidas is going to give all of this money. Uh, as, as somebody who saw Pele play as a kid when he came to the Cosmos, it didn't change soccer. Yes, it was a different universe as far as what you could watch on TV. Apple is now basically monopolizing where you can watch the MLS. Are they going to show every game with – do they show every game of every team now? Yes. Like, okay, so now everybody is supposedly going to watch – it's not like we're getting Messi in his prime. They don't. We're getting 35-year-old Messi. They don't care about you. They care about all of the Argentinian fans who will subscribe to Apple TV. Apple TV. They because care Ted about Lasso's people who over? will buy an Adidas shoe. Okay, they ca- that's what they care about. If you look at it, ticket prices. But is that going to change the MLS? If, I get. I get that it they, makes them if more they money. They have more money, and they can expand more and get more in TV rights deals and more from advertisers. Yes, it will help the MLS. You think? Well, Apple TV doesn't have advertisers. No, but the teams will be able to get more money, more money from okay. advertisers. When Messi comes in for a game, the ticket sales one will game. Be more. One game in each. By the of those way, isn't isn't the isn't the Miami game in Philadelphia before right before he yeah, gets it's here? Yeah, the twenty fourth. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna miss out on him. But they got screwed. But, like his first game that he's gonna play, according to TickPick data, it was three hundred. It was twenty nine dollars on Tuesday and three hundred and twenty nine dollars on Wednesday. A thousand thirty four percent increase. You and your ticket prices. You're gonna look. Well, it's yeah. an indication of interest, and if they can generate more tickets. They're already opening a bigger facility there. They're trying to expand. I get it. How long the is he gonna be here? 
if he's here three to five years. It's, no way. There's no way he's You don't here. think he pays, no. plays three years? No, I don't. Not if he's getting a part and, and, ownership and, of the team okay. and cut of sales. Who cares he's if he's 35 on the years old? This it, is this is this this is a sport that requires you to run. Well, I mean, when we've talked to like Bedoya and stuff, don't they run ten miles during the course of a match? I understand. Okay, he, I don't care what kind of shape he's in. He's thirty-five years old. I think you're underestimating the influence that he will have. I really do. You think this is going to grow the entire MLS as opposed to? People well, that's on, watching that's on the MLS Miami. to get the eyes that are going to come onto the brand to watch. I'm asking, I don't I'm know. Asking, get off that fence. <laughs> no, I honestly don't know if the MLS will be able to do that. But yeah. Messi will give them the opportunity to sell themselves to people who never would have given them the chance who, to watch. Who's the owner of Miami? Uh, David Beckham. Okay, and did he... One gr- minute, Jeff. And, 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 did, and did the guy who... There was even a Hallie movie made Hallie wants me to make sure you know we uh, have one okay. minute. Well, you, if you keep saying it, you're wasting well, a minute. she's giving me a finger, but did, I don't know did, which one. Did David Beckham change the the um, trajectory of the MLS? He changed the trajectory of some of the different teams and the values. The M- Inter Milan, Inter, Inter Miami's valued at almost $600 million. They'll be no, valued no. at did a billion David dollar David Beckham franchise. coming at the end of his career to play for what the LA Galaxy I don't think that, changed... I don't think... I think that David MLS. Beckham is messy, by the way. David Beckham at the time was messy. I understand. David but I, Beckham I was bend it like Beckham. I understand, but now they have the opportunity to do it with Messi. I just think you're underestimating what it's going to be. I think I think they're overestimating what you, he will mean, not to money, uh, to the sports expansion. All right, that's going to be your last thought. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.